you know, there's a bit of a perception that it's all, you know, snake oil and people trying to hoodwink you. The, the, the truth is, you, you know, you can only sell a bad product once. Marketing crypto versus marketing toothbrushes, marketing home loans, it's all about understand who your consumer is. And, and if you're confident you've got a product that meets the needs that they have, fantastic. Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Blockchain New Zealand podcast. I'm Jeff Nicey, and today I'm speaking with Ben Rose. Ben has a long history of sales, marketing, and growth with New Zealand businesses, all the way from startups to banks like ASB and NIB. Just last month, Binance launched here in the New Zealand market. Yes, you can now go to binance.co.nz. And Ben is the general manager tasked with growing the crypto market and maybe bringing back our futures trading, of course, once Binance is properly licensed. In this conversation, we touch on marketing, regulation, education, and some self-sovereign topics like custody and ownership. Before we get to Ben, a quick note about our sponsor. The Blockchain New Zealand podcast is brought to you by Easy Crypto. Five years ago, a passionate bunch of Kiwis created Easy Crypto in New Zealand to enable Kiwis and others to buy and sell cryptocurrency. The Easy Crypto website is simple and straightforward. They have heaps of great educational content that caters to both beginners and experts and are very transparent about fees. You can buy crypto with New Zealand dollars or with your credit card and get crypto sent directly to your wallet. Investing in cryptocurrency can of course be risky, so always do your own research. Visit easycrypto.com to start your crypto journey today. And now, my conversation with Ben Rose. So let's just get into it. Uh, ben, thank you for coming along today, coming down to uh, my studio. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. Um, so give me and anyone listening a bit of context here. Uh, in terms of your background, uh, sort of, I would say you're a sales and marketing focused guy. Yep. Uh, and so... That's great. Uh, as a as a citizen, I know that those types of people are busy doing whatever it is that they do in, yeah, in most yeah. organizations or yeah. companies. Yeah. Um, and and then on the other side of things, we've got crypto, and obviously Binance is a very well known brand and a huge, massive business in in the crypto area. Um, but, right. But that is a financial exchange, cryptocurrencies. So yep. how do we connect the dots between the two? Personally, for you, how do you end up where you are now at Binance? Okay. Okay, so so sales and marketing is about understanding what consumers want and then meeting that need fundamentally. So that's, I suppose, where I come from. Um, and in my career, I've worked in lots of industries, but my relevant experience for this, I think, was, has been banking and insurance as well as technology. So I've worked in New Zealand in um, traditional finance, understanding how to make uh, users choose one bank's products over another. So, you know, making sure that we understand what they're looking for in terms of experience, what they're looking for in terms of brand, what they're looking for in terms of the functional things like pricing and features, um, but also doing that within a regulatory framework. So I suppose that's the that's the experience that, that I have coupled with the ability to grow brands and grow sales. So I've always been very growth focused. Um, the role here at Binance New Zealand as, as employee number one was to take um, what is an existing platform. We've got the tech uh, built. We're always developing it. We, we've developed that globally. Locally, the objective was actually to work with local regulators to make sure that we have a presence here that's sustainable for the future. So they're looking for someone who knows how that has worked and works across other financial industries um, and grow the business. So they wanted someone 
with you know an entrepreneurial background. I have that for, through yeah. through my own startups. Someone who can build a team, build culture, but importantly, communicate with New Zealanders in a way that works for them, that they can understand the product set and buy into the you know what we're trying to do. So yeah. so I think you know. The crypto side of things, um, as an individual, I'd been interested in crypto for a couple of years, not professionally, but just personally. Right. Um, so it was a it was a passion of mine, but really the the opportunity I think to grow a brand new financial services business in New Zealand and build that brand that was what attracted me to it, and it was a you know it was a good fit. Yeah, very very attractive fit. You mentioned there about some of your banking experience. One thing I was just thinking of is like uh, I've paid a lot of attention to as a, you know, crypto geek, you try to learn as much as you can about banking, you know, totally. uh, um, and all the, all the bad things that are associated with it. Um, but something that's not bad at all is the marketing that these banks are putting together, yeah. uh, particularly TV ads. So I probably watch way too much TV, <laughs> but our big banks in New Zealand, I'm yeah. particularly drawn to some of their advertising. And uh, often it's the type of thing where you, I will see a new ad and I'll go, hey, I haven't seen this one before. And paying attention and along, and I'm like trying to guess, yeah. you know, what the bank or what the product is at the end. But the the advertising, I think, is particularly good, and also particularly uh, hilarious sometimes. How they're offering, you know, like come get a mortgage with us, and we'll give you ten grand. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm like, like the psychology that that is going on there behind the scenes. I'm like, people don't even have a chance when you see like an attractive ad. And this idea of like free money. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a couple of things in that. I think most incumbent industries have got very have got their their processes down pat, and banking is no no exception to that. So so when you start in a marketing team in a bank, you are told this is how we do things. This is how we do research. This is how we do testing. This is how we use the mix of channels. There is a way of doing things, and it's usually a large team, and they've usually got large budgets. So as a learning ground, it's really good. Um, the reason that they they also succeed um, in in banking in particular is in banking the products are very homogenous they're very very similar one home loan from another home loan they're almost identical. Oh yeah, you so, get a perfect comparison chart on the, those websites. Totally, totally. Yeah. So 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 what you differentiate on is is brand and experience and and so the advertising plays a large role in that. In crypto, it's very different where. Actually, because it's such a nascent industry, that the product features um, one exchange might have a set of products that another another doesn't have, which means you've got access to might be more coins or more liquidity or more ways to use your crypto. So I think you know, kind of different industries, different fe different different roles drive marketing. But yeah, I think I think I think the banks do the banks do marketing very well, um, and I you know I was lucky enough to learn to learn a, a few tricks of the trade from there too. Yeah. Okay possibly be responsible for some of it, or as you say, yeah, learn some tricks. Um, so if, if you were giving me a, a 101 brief lesson on, on marketing, how do you see crypto marketing being different from your previous experience? It oh, could, it's not. could be banking. It's, it's, it's not. Okay. Um, so marketing fundamentally, like I said earlier, it's the first thing you do is start off with who's my customer, who am I, who am I targeting? You, you understand them, so you need to know what they're looking for, and you need to understand whether there's a match in your products and their wants. And then you need to persuade them that yours is better than the competitors 
based on what they're looking for. So there's a bit of a, you know, there's a bit of a perception that it's all, you know, snake oil and people trying to hoodwink you. The the, the truth is, you you know, you can only sell a bad product once. You might persuade someone to try it once, okay. but then you've lost them. I like that a lot. So, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't make it up. I stole it. But, but uh, you know, marketing crypto versus marketing toothbrushes, marketing home loans, it's all about understand who your consumer is. And, and if you're confident you've got a product that meets the needs that they have, fantastic. But you've got to, you've got to start there. Okay, great. So talking about consumers, uh, what have you noticed? What is your New Zealand crypto consumer? What do they look like? Uh, what's some of the traits? Um, how are you attacking that? So, yeah, a few things. So people who are into crypto in New Zealand are very similar to people who are into crypto in other countries. And, you know, you've got the early adopters, the people who we all know, the people who would know this this brand. Um, they're very similar um, in in to to crypto um, early adopters in other, you know, Western developed markets like New Zealand. What's interesting is the broader public um, in New Zealand, are, there's a lot less awareness of crypto than we see in some other markets, less understanding. So that sometimes manifests itself as suspicion, other times just gen general curiosity. So we've seen in the you know in the bear market we've seen um quite a few people trying crypto for the first time maybe placing a small bet as they're seeing you know returns in other asset classes not what they used to be so we've seen people dabbling a little bit a little bit of curiosity but i think generally the general sense is um a lack of understanding of crypto is probably what defines a lot of this market at the moment and we you know we, we think that's pretty pretty exciting because you know there's a there's, a, there's an exciting journey to go on so there's a, a global meme or aphorism that says that New Zealand is, you know, maybe five or 10 years behind some of other our other Western counterparts. Um, would you think there's a bit of truth to that with the New Zealand customer? Yes and no. Yes and no. You know, everyone points back to 1985 and FPOS. We were the first to try that. And, you know, <laughs> I've heard this. Right. So everyone, everyone talks about that. There are a lot, there have been a lot of firsts in New Zealand. The reality is this is a small market. So big players don't tend to set up shop here or invest here. We, you know, you can see that with with retail, with Costco only just coming here, IKEA not here yet, um, and and you see how that's played out in banking and 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 other industries. So because of that fact, because there doesn't tend to be huge competition in industries, that means you don't get a lot of growth in those yeah. industries. So so there's nothing about New Zealanders um, in, inherently that means <laughs> you know we don't love innovation. We do love it. Look at look at all our tech startups. Look at look at Zero and look at right. look at, at Allbirds. Look at all these businesses. The fact that our our scale has has held bigger players back from investing, and in, I think, is the reason why there's less there's less penetration here because there are there are local crypto businesses that you know we're part of blockchain NZ with with those guys, um, and they they play a role. But also the global businesses with their liquidity and their products and their choice of coins and, and low fees and all those things, that's something that's been missing from the market. And and it's not unique to crypto, is it? You know, you see that in in, in supermarkets, you see that in banking. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh one of the, I guess, one of the end game goals of a lot of businesses is to really be a financial services provider. A uh, perfect example here in trade here in New Zealand is TradeMe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, started as a fantastic peer to peer marketplace, and they still do that, you know, very very well. They do. Um, but if you have a look at like some of their uh, extra verticals that they've started to unwrap, like they are turning into a full service financial full financial services, or they're going in that direction. The only thing really that's missing is the ability to like uh, send money directly 
when you purchase something through well, TradeMe. When when you're a when you're a business that's only focused on the New Zealand domestic market, the only way to increase profits because shareholders love you to increase profits is to grow you know horizontally. So so that there are lots of businesses that have done that and gone into you know adjacent businesses. And I, I think I think for for us we sort of take a different lens, which is this is an important market, but it's one of many that we're focused on. Just a sidebar question here. As a marketing guy, how do you rate uh, Tesla and their philosophy of no spend, uh, zero spend on ads and marketing? What, what do you think about that? I think it's I think it's a bit smoke and mirrors okay. because they they also do have appointed media agencies and they also do okay. gift cars to people. And I th- you know, I think they've done a bit more, a bit more than that. And I I, th- I think you know if you look at the amount of investment they've put in uh, social media, uh, there's probably a bit of spend there. Yeah, 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 and. Uh, uh, I would agree with that, especially the idea of having a Tesla store kind of like mimic a, I don't know, maybe a tech store like a, an Apple store, I'm sure, comparisons. Well, if you're, you know, if you place your store on K Road, right. you put your store in a trendy part of town with a big fat logo on the front and a glass window at the front with the car on display, that looks quite similar to an outdoor ad to me. Yeah. Because if it was just about being a service center, you probably wouldn't put it in the CBD and it wouldn't look as glossy as it does, you know? <laughs> so... I, I think they, they, they've probably they've probably stretched that a little. It is kind of funny how they've got that nice display room, and then like around the corner, right behind it, they've got their service center. I haven't seen in it, but it doesn't look like it can fit. Uh, they, they can service very much at one time. Uh, let's talk about Binance here in New Zealand. Um, basically, why do you think Binance came to New Zealand? few reasons. So the first one is there's a, there's a commercial opportunity. You know, we're a, we're a for-profit business. We think there's an exciting opportunity here. So penetration in New Zealand is is about 10% according to the FMA. Global averages go Can anywhere you expand between. on that penetration? Of... Oh, so number of uh, Kiwis who have some form of crypto holding. So, okay. so the FMA did a survey um, r- relatively recently and reasonable sample size. And, they, and, and from that, one in 10 Kiwis had some form of crypto asset. And it it differed depending on different um, ethnicities, genders, all that sort of thing. But that's the the top line is one in ten. And if you compare that to other numbers in the elsewhere in the OECD, you're looking at anywhere between fifteen, twenty, sometimes higher. So we think there's we think there's an opportunity. We we had a look at the local market and we think, you know, what Kiwis have been paying. We think it's relatively high. We think what they've the, the breadth of services they've had access to we think is not great. So we think there's a commercial opportunity. But also, this is a country where um, you know there's a. It's a progressive country with a history of innovation. You've got a regulator who, who you know, and, and, a, and a reserve bank that's looking at CBDCs, looking at what happens next. So we think that's that's a pretty exciting opportunity as well. So the the the, 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 the two of those, the commercial opportunity, the opportunity to work with regulators, we think we think is pretty exciting. Where is Binance registered around the world? Is are there many locations, or is this kind of unique? No, we've got lots. We've got lots. Okay. We're, we're, I think I'm right in saying we're the most uh, registered and uh, licensed uh, exchange in the world. So okay. we, we're in, you know, examples would be Dubai, Bahrain, France, Italy, Spain, um, Australia, New Zealand. Yep. There's, a, there's, a, there's a whole long list. So, so it's no longer just like the small islands where they can really guide regulation and do what they want. No, no, we're, we're, we're everywhere. So, and, and, you know, we've got the, the, the real focus where there is a crypto license, our focus is, is Getting that license in places like New Zealand, where there is not there there isn't a specific crypto license, we get registered. Um, but we're working towards there being we're advocating for there being a license because I, I think that's a you know that's a really important part of the industry maturing as well. 
Okay, um, help me out here. A license similar to what a retail bank would need, only crypto specific, or what, what are you talking about there? So, so in financial services, you've got in countries like New Zealand where there's a traditional financial services regulatory framework, you've got a typically you've got a registration like like we have, and so you to, you register to be a, an FSP, a financial service provider, yep. and so that means that you have to, you know, you're an AML reporting entity to the DIA. So your transactions, anything suspicious or whatever it might be, you're reporting to them to follow up. The same with the police. You also have to be part of an external disputes resolution scheme so that if you know a, cu- a customer has a complaint and we don't resolve it to their satisfaction, there's an independent local right, body that goes to. to hear yeah. you out. Yeah, that's right. So so those are, you know, th- those are those are the advantages of that. But then there's another level of licensing. And so some industries like banking is one, insurance is another, that there's a specific license that they have to have. And so the requirements to have a license are usually relatively onerous and there's a lot of compliance involved. Yep. And so the reason we think that's really good is because then you get an industry like crypto where there are currently, there's a broad spectrum of players. You've got businesses like us at one end who are relatively big, invest a lot in compliance and, you know, transaction monitoring and safety and all those things. And then you've got, you know, just startups who are just chucking out a coin and, you know, a bit of pump and dump or, you know, I've, I've got an NFT project. Yeah, unfortunately, that comes, comes big spectrum. to mind. Yeah, but so yeah. For, for an individual, it's really hard to know who can I trust. You don't have that in banking. You know that if you go to a registered bank, they're a registered bank. You don't, you know, you don't get people pretending to be banks. <laughs> so when you have a, a specific license for an industry, it gives the public that kind of reassurance and certainty. But what it also does, more importantly, is it gives other players in the industry the certainty that there's a lot of oversight and that they're comfortable to work with them. And so, you know, in New Zealand, the banks, for example, don't like to work with crypto businesses or blockchain businesses. And, you know, having a license is a step towards assisting that. Yeah, I would say that is one of the biggest hurdles that startups here, crypto enthusiastic Web3 startups face. And, uh, you know, I guess it's a matter of if they can't get it here, they're going to go somewhere else where they can get it. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't realize how um, unusual the situation is in New Zealand, how hostile the banks can be to um, blockchain businesses and crypto businesses. So, you know, when we when we came here, we spoke to all the banks, I mean, literally all the banks. And the the concerns that they have when it comes to the industry is AML, anti-money laundering. So how can you show me that you know who your customers are and those sorts of things? So as an example, you know, we, we're, we're very compliant with that. We, we turned up with our risk assessments and our programs and our policies, and they said, mm, that looks quite robust, but we don't work with crypto businesses. Okay. So there's a, you know, there's a there's a real challenge for innovation there. Where and you're standing there holding all this documentation. Yeah, that's going, right. That's right. Well, and we said, look, you know, and and we're not the only ones. Others have also yeah. said, well, tell us what you need. Tell us what you need, and we will happily give it to you. And you know, and I think the the industry has a problem. The, you know, the Web three industry has a challenge in that it's new. Uh, the banking industry has a challenge in that it is not new and it's making quite a lot of profit from the status quo. And so I think there's a bit of tension there about, you know, what happens if we let this new industry really take hold? Um, and so, so you know, it, it will come to a head at some point, but it's, yeah. you know, we, we work with banks all over the world. New Zealand has been, you know, a bit of an outlier there. I think there's a lot of tension there. Um, so we're not really starting from scratch. It's just that the perception of what is doable needs to be shifted a little bit. What do you mean? What do you mean? So in terms of coming up with a licensing scheme and regulatory format, uh, there's a lot of good structure in place to go on to build upon. 
but particularly New Zealand regulators aren't yet ready to embrace that? No, I wouldn't say that. Look, our, our experience has been actually the opposite. Re New Zealand regulators are really open to this new industry. You, you know, there, there's a lot of work going on locally and internationally and about what, what does this mean for regulators? This, this new industry, how does it fit in? What class of asset is a digital asset? You know, that's playing out over in, 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 the, in the States, in the UK, in Australia. So it's, it's a pretty tough space to, to, to get your head around because it's also developing really quickly. So we, you know, we haven't found that they're not ready for it. We found that like regulators all around the world, you know, everyone's trying to work out what's the best way to approach this. You know, how do you regulate an industry which is developing by the day? So how do you make sure that you don't put rules in place that are obsolete the following day? And, and also, how do you do it in a way that allows innovation, but also protects customers? Because, you know, some industries that have over-regulated have stifled innovation. You think about the fact that you jump on a plane today, it looks very similar to a plane that you jumped on in 1950. So that's because, you know, there's a lot of regulation, rightfully so. We want to make sure that any regulation that comes in protects the consumer, but also allows innovation, because it's through innovation that you get competition and a better outcome for consumers yeah. in the end. That's that's interesting that you bring that up. I've also thought that there's a comparison here between what America's National Transport and Safety Board has done with commercial air travel uh, starting in about 1974 all the way up into today to make it as safe as, as it is. And I think there's a parallel here with um, the crypto industry as a whole mm. in, in the sense that uh, there's a lot of bad news, a lot of bad headlines out there uh, in terms of thefts or hacks or things that break, things that get locked in smart contracts, uh, coins that get locked, and, and so on. Um, but I think there's a parallel here that over time, things have quickly gotten better in crypto, actually, when you look at how much crypto in the market space has grown. Yep. And uh, I'm at least positive, I have a positive outlook that it's only going to get better and improve in, in terms of the, the, you know, uh, the security side of things on crypto. And I guess... Uh, as the safety of people flying commercially ha has really dramatically improved, that's something I've been I've been looking at lately. I, th I think you know there are also players. We're, we're one who proactively put in place safety measures. I mean, that's for us. You know, user safety is everything. So, look, an example is um, we've got a thing called the Safu, which is a it's an insurance fund that we we have on two publicly available addresses. Great name. It's a bit. Thank you. It's a billion dollars. It's a US billion dollars worth yeah. of crypto, and, th and that is purely to refund users in the event of uh, you know of a, a hack. So. Individual um, exchanges are taking measures like that. We've put a lot of effort into yeah. the tech, the safety, the monitoring. Um, but the challenge for users is consumers is to know, well, that's all very well, but what about these guys? Do they do the same? And if there's no specific standard, aka license, in a yeah. country, then it's hard. It's hard to know. I mean, that's a really good point, right? Nobody told Binance that they have to do that to continue operating their no. business, and uh, definitely. Uh, that has, uh, in my in my opinion, uh, I'm also a customer that has uh, served them well. And uh, I guess the perception of the consumer knowing that there is that there, which also then lets us know that people are working on it and thinking about it and are aware of it. And it's not just, you know, a couple of people yeah, on an right. island doing what they want. That's right. And, you know, if you think about the traditional industry where, you know, ba banks have to have a certain amount of, of capital on hand to back their, to back their debts and their, and their liabilities, without that legislation, without that, that kind of license, you know, there, there, isn't, there isn't that requirement. Now, we, we do that. Others don't. 
Yeah. And so so that's you know that's that's part of the challenge is how how do you identify who the responsible players are who are here for the long term versus those who um, let's just say they're not. Okay. So um, lots of good things in terms of. Uh, practical products or measures that Binance is bringing that we already didn't have access to here yep. in New Zealand. What do you got? So 350 plus coins on the platform, the biggest pool of liquidity in the world, lowest fees. Um, those, those will be a couple. We've got some product launches that we're working on, uh, one for next month, one for next year. So there's, there's going to be lots coming. Okay, sweet. We've spoken a little bit before and you mentioned about education yeah. in crypto yeah. and um, how... I've also heard you speak about this in the media a little bit. You've got, uh, presently, you've got a video series going out through your YouTube and video channels. Yep. Um, so how do you see education in terms of, in, in terms of crypto? Um, what's, what's next or what's the low-hanging fruit? How can we uh, really start to make things a little bit more user-friendly and make people a little bit more knowledgeable? So we've got a thing called Binance Academy. Um, so it's it's free content in 30 different languages, which is the kind of everything you need to understand, get into and use crypto. So there's, you know, there's a whole lot of different levels from beginner to intermediate and expert. So that's something that we, you know, we, we share a lot and we make sure that we give people access to that. Um, our video series at the moment, we've got a guy, Rebecca Hollis, who's uh, working with us, going around the country, talking to Kiwis busting myths about crypto because there are lots of them yep. um we're also working we work really closely with a, a comms agency partner one plus one um working on you know media relations and making sure that when there is a story that there's there is there is a counterpoint that there is someone saying well actually hang on um here, here is a positive side of crypto did you know the fact that it's now accepted by emirates for flights or starbucks for coffees and there are lots of use cases that we as a global crypto business see and are part of but the New Zealand public don't. And and because of that, the, what we think has been a bit of a news vacuum, really all you get are kind of novelty stories and, and horror stories. And you miss actually out on the stuff that is really exciting, really positive about this. You know, the, the businesses that have been born from ICOs like like ours. Right. The, you know, the fact the fact that in in Lebanon people are using crypto because the fiat currency there is is going into freefall. The fact that actually um, you know in, uh, institutions are getting into are getting into crypto, and you've got you know the likes of BlackRock Capital, you've even got Cora KiwiSaver locally. There's a lot happening that isn't all. I lost my laptop and now I'm looking for it in the dump. That, <laughs> but without you know without a, an industry player that's prepared to get out and say that, you just wouldn't know it. So so we see that as a role that we we can play. We've come a long way from our Cryptopia hangover of of a few years back. Yeah, yeah. So. Go on, give me a myth. Give me something that uh, your mother or your brother might think, oh, I can't believe that Ben is doing this crypto thing. Uh, give me a preconception. Okay, so I'll tell you one my, my, my actually my mum said. She said, but it's just, she said, it's just based on nothing though, isn't it? So it's, yep. not, it's not real. Okay. Um, so I asked her about, so talk, tell me about that. And she said, well, like money, actual money is based on gold. I said, well, where is it? She was somewhere in the Bank of oh, England. She's a smart lady. Whatever, right? so, so, so my mum lives in England, so she said within the Bank of England somewhere, they've probably got gold somewhere because there's that thing called the gold standard. Right? So that is a myth. It is a complete myth. So in the 70s, the US were first and everybody else followed. They decoupled gold from cash. So there is not a big vault of gold underpinning all of the dollars that we, that we see every day. And that's why when you get a big crisis, governments can just print money. You can just make it up. And that's why we've got inflation, because there is you, you can print as much as you like. Um, with crypto, 
let's take Bitcoin, for example. There is a finite amount of Bitcoin. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins and no more. So that means that you can't manipulate um, the availability of it because the availability is the availability. Even gold that people compare it to, when the price of gold gets to a certain point, then previously non-feasible um, mines become feasible. And so actually the, the supply of gold can grow as well. So I think, you know, my, my opinion is that there's a lot of nervousness around anything new. This is new. Um, once, once people get more familiar with it and used, and used to it, it will feel normal and less intimidating. You know, if you, you think about how we use traditional money, that's quite complicated. You know, if you, if you think about how you make oh, a purchase using- horrendous. Use, go, you take your money, you pay it into a bank, you use a card, you go with a card to a retailer, they take that card, they swipe it, they check the, you know, there's ledgers all over the place, there's people clipping tickets and time. It's quite complicated. So before that was understood, people would have gone, do you know what? I'll just keep my shells under the mattress. I'm all good, thanks. And I, we're at that stage right now where this is a new thing. Users and regulators are getting their heads around, how does this work for me? How does this work for us? So, you know, it, 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 it's a phase. And we know that because we've seen that phase at different points in different countries around the world. Very well said. Um, the, the idea even that we have trust in gold in a vault somewhere is, you know, a little bit like if you told someone that completely had no idea, they might think that you were a little bit off saying, saying what you there's uh, this thing called Fort Knox and uh, yeah, yeah, it's in yeah, the middle yeah. of New York City and it's That's holding right. most of the U.S.'s gold. Let me see it. That's right. And, and then they say, well, we can't show you. And you say, well, why, why can't you show me? And say, well, whoa, 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 whoa. You're yeah. Well, the, so the we can't show you bit, that's really important because so, so a centralized ledger, you trust that the bank um, will look after you because they've been around for a long time and, and it's probably okay. I can't see the ledger myself. I don't know what's on it, but they say they talk about trust a lot and they've been around for a long time and so it's probably okay. With blockchain, with a distributed ledger, you can see it because it's your money, it's your value that's being moved around. So why shouldn't you be able to see it? What, what have they got to hide? And I think that transparency, which, which, which you know, replaces the need for, for trust, that's really, really important. And, and that's something that, you know, that, that opacity is something that you know there have been industries we've all heard of locally that have spoke about opacity as a as a tool to increase profits that's how centralized ledgers work you know don't worry we've got this by the way this yeah. is how much we're going to charge you for it has been a model that's done pretty well financially for a while but what that means is that you have to trust that they're going to look after your money and going to let you spend it that doesn't seem right um where do you stand on the idea of self custody um, look, we're, we're agnostic, so we yeah. have we have users who hold it on our platform and holders who users who hold it off. I, I think you've got a spectrum, right, of fully centralized and fully decent and fully decentralized, and we're probably somewhere you know on on that spectrum. And it's right for different people at different times. So you know, a centralized exchange is good for users who want to have quick access to the money. They don't want to have to bother about you know remembering their C phrase and those sorts of things. Um, others choose to do it in a, in a different way and have some funds there and some funds elsewhere. So. We don't have a, a, yeah. a position. We're, you know, we're an exchange. We let people buy, sell, and hold if they want to. I mean, it's it's tricky because when your friend says, "Hey, how do I get into this? I want to buy some," you know, I feel the need to. At some point, we're going to have to talk about how how you store this stuff, mm, mm. Uh, and that's a wild step away from opening an account in your financial institution. Yeah, uh, even if you're opening like an investing account, right? You're still under this idea of trust in that third party. Yeah. Uh, and, and then on the other end of things, you say, okay, well, you know, if you have a small amount and 
you're doing things via some exchange, you know, you're probably fine. And they say probably fine. You're like, well, don't read all this stuff that's been in the media, you know, about various, various things. And in back to the education thing, this is like a really tough ball to juggle when you're yeah, trying I mean, to it, onboard. It depends on, look, it really does depend on what you're trying to get out of it, you know? So you've got to work out what's right for you. Do you want quick access to it to trade it? Do you want to hold it somewhere and not think about it? You know, what what, what do you want to do? What, what I can say is that we um, we don't just have this, you know, sitting sitting um, in my, you know, in, on my USB stick in my pocket. The, the, the Binance Exchange <laughs> has most of our funds in cold storage that we, we have a custody solution that we operate ourselves with, you know, multi-sig access and all the sorts of things that you would expect from a, you know, a, a, an institutional grade exchange, we do all of that as well. So, so we, you know, as an exchange, we manage what's in cold wallets and what's in um, hot wallets. That's something you've got to get your head around. Binance Academy is quite a good place to do that. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's down to the individual. The difference is it's down to the individual. Whereas with yeah. traditional finance, it is not down to the individual. You do all of the work to earn the money, and then you put that money with someone else, and you ask them for the right to use it. And pay them for the for the benefit. You know that's the difference. It's it's up to you this time. I love that though. I think we're turning a corner here. I think we've got a little bit complacent. You know, maybe in finance, maybe also in big tech with all of our data that's swirling around and uh, you know being sold at our expense. And so I think we really are turning the corner uh, and you know absolutely leveling up. And I think that's another thing I'm optimistic about. Um, that's that's the whole thing about Web three, right? Is is that you should own the data, and it's the same with with money. The cryptocurrency is about you should own the money that you have created, and you decide how and what to do with it, rather than someone else deciding how to do that. And you know, I, I'll give you an example. So my um, my nephew lives in London, and it was his birthday. He's a teenager, and I wanted to send him some money. Yeah. Uh, not that much because I'm a stingy uncle. Um, I wanted to send him forty bucks worth. Don't want and him so, to get comfortable. That's yeah. right, exactly right, exactly right. So about forty bucks worth. So I went to my bank, um, and they were they were going to charge me over ten dollars to send that forty dollars, and, and it could take a couple of weeks. I looked at some online solutions, and, and you know you're looking at ten bucks, and it could take a week. And so I sent. Um, I, I did an exchange of uh, Bitcoin, not point, not 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 of a Bitcoin, <laughs> um, and and it took minutes, and it cost cents. You know, so it's a really interesting. Um, paradigm shift that we have where actually borders needn't matter you, you don't need to go through umpteen different institutions and pay each one of them on the way and have them all hold on to your money just for a little bit while it goes along you don't you, you don't need to do that anymore and so i think my job is really making new zealanders understand that that stuff is not a pipe dream in the future that like that that is available right now so if you're you know if you're a worker sending money overseas from new zealand that you earn you don't need to rely on traditional options that cost, you know, huge amounts of commission and take forever to get there. You can just send it straight away because it's your money. So why should you have to pay a lot of it to some some other third party? So that I suppose that's a, you know, now it, this stuff is available. It's happening. People just need to get their head around it and and really understand that. And you know, oh, that's pretty exciting. You completely nailed it. Like that's the killer use case right there. Uh, fractionalization of you know fees and assets many many knots before you get to get to the the value in the decimal and uh being able to do it quick you totally. know totally. uh so much quicker especially when you're dealing with cross-border things and compliance on both ends uh, yeah and yada 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 
moving on a bit, what are you excited about in, in the space generally coming up in the next, say, year? Um, so exciting for us, we're, we're quite keen to see what the political parties, um, what positions they adopt when it comes to Web3, whether they you know, see the, the opportunity in it and how that plays out in next year's election. We think that's pretty exciting. Um, we're also really keen just to um, start launching new new products into the market. We've we've got we've got a marketing a market leading set of products right now, but we've got some really exciting stuff, um, which I can't talk about, but I would love to <laughs> um, coming up uh, later this year and next year. Um, we think that's going to be pretty cool. And the the last thing is um, physical meetups. So Binance all around the world user meetups are a big part of what we do, getting the community together. Um, so we're going to kick off with our first one of those in in December and doing those okay. regularly. That's something we're really excited about, getting around the country and just engaging with users, getting feedback from them, and you know, sharing sharing what's happening at Binance, working with local Web three players at those. So that's that's something we're really looking forward to. Uh, do you have a timeline for that? Do you have dates that you can say? Yeah. So um, by the time this goes to air, we will have sent our invitations out um, to all of our Binance users. So it will be on the first of December. So um, limited tickets only, um, and they usually fill up very fast. But don't worry if people have missed out because we'll be running lots more. So Ben, you have a previous life as a podcaster. Maybe not previous life. It, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, you uh, you started the New Zealand Sales and Marketing Podcast. I did. Uh, I've listened to many of them. I Thank think you. you did thirty some odd episodes. Yep. And you have since passed the baton along. Uh, how does it feel today, sitting on the other side of the desk? Oh, so good, so good. Because <laughs> now I know that um, I'm not going to have to go and persuade my wife to do the editing of the episode. So this this is awesome. This is really easy. I get to come and chat, and, and away I go. It's awesome. Um, so as a more experienced podcaster than me, what are your tips? Um, so uh, the way I I realized what what worked was having a really good formula for um, you know how how the interviews would be structured and letting the guests do all the talking and do all the hard work because they're the ones that come with the interesting stories um, I think I think in my first few I probably did more talking than listening and I realized that my role was yeah. about listening um, the other thing was was also in terms of the editing it doesn't have to be perfect because you know people aren't expecting you know Netflix Disney quality <laughs> they want they just want to hear a real conversation so yeah that's, that's those would be the keys yeah both both good tips. Sometimes you do notice uh, listening to a podcast that maybe one person does all the talking or maybe yeah. you're not getting the balance that, that you're after. So I've, I've thought about that, but I'm not going to let it uh, decide what to do. But I'd agree with that. Uh, I, I got one more for you here. Uh, if you're to introduce yourself to me here today, what do you say? Yeah, I would say uh, my name's Ben. I'm a dad of three. I'm a husband of one. Uh, I run a crypto exchange and I love growing things. All right. Sounds good. So just wrapping up our time today, are you up for some rapid fire? Go for it. Okay. Um, I've dug into your LinkedIn a bit. You mm. studied at Oxford. I did. Did you study at the Oxford? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and did you read at Oxford? Is that did I say that I right? Did. I did. I went up to read uh, Spanish and Portuguese there. You went up to read Spanish yeah. and, and Portuguese. Right yeah. here in New Zealand, we study, so yeah, totally. I just wanted to clear, clear that up. <laughs> um, did you encounter any prime ministers, uh, either in your class or otherwise? No, I didn't. I think the I, I went out with a with a Portuguese countess once. Okay, uh, that would be my claim to fame. And no, we had a lots of we did have lots of prime ministers at my college, which was uh, called Christchurch, which actual Christchurch was named after. Oh no way! Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't meet any. Okay. 
Uh, is marketing considered an expense or an investment? It's often considered an expense, but that is incorrect because when done well, uh, it should be growing value. Have you met CZ? Uh, by video, yes, I have. Okay. Uh, when CZ comes to New Zealand, will you ask him to come on the podcast? I will ask him. Thanks. Um, when can I trade futures with 100x leverage again? So we've said to the regulators here that we've, we do intend to bring that back, um, but we'll first apply for a license. So okay. once we've got a license, we'll be bringing it back. Um, in terms of the, the leverage, we'll, we'll see what that ends up as. Yeah, I think uh, 100x was paired back recently before uh, coming into the New Zealand market. Uh, obviously, 100x is crazy dangerous and you're just gambling, but um, I know people will be wondering, Bitcoin or Ethereum? Up to you. I won't tell you which coin to buy. No, what, what, what do you like? Oh, look, my, my, my view doesn't matter. So oh, we've got okay. a policy of not commenting on specific coins. Oh, fair which enough. Is, which right. is actually, it's a good way to spot when, uh, when, you know, when someone might have a vested interest. If they're telling you to buy a particular coin, mm -hmm. ask what they've got to gain from it. So we're an exchange. So we benefit if someone sells uh, an ETH or, you know, or, or a Bitcoin equally. So you know, up to you is the answer. Who is Satoshi? Great question. If I knew that, I wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> Ben, thanks a lot for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks for joining us, folks. Look out for the next episode of the Blockchain Newsroom podcast, probably in the same spot you found this one. Cheers.